And so you knew that I was going to use Solo as one of the five movies this summer. It is good to be with you this morning. And yes, it is just a shameless uh, excuse to play movie clips that I like in church. And uh, we will use them very loosely for some messages. And hopefully uh, it, uh, it just helps you connect to the story. And uh, we're having a little bit of fun as we move through this summer. And um, if you haven't noticed, there have been some great movies this summer. Sometimes they're snoozers. Uh, uh, the, the movie industry basically has Christmas and summer to, to make all their money because you know they're broke over there in Hollywood. And uh, so they got to hit us hard when they get a chance to. And we're using five uh, themes from some of these movies this summer to build us up as a church. And so I believe that God is going to send us more people to love in this next coming school year. If you don't know, uh, there is like a church calendar, but the church year really is the school year, and so the summer we kind of uh, we, we kind of just kind of chill out. Different people are gone. Usually, there's about ten to twenty percent of us gone every week, uh, vacations or whatever else in the summer, and then it's like everybody comes home uh, after school starts in in September, and then uh, everybody leaves again on, on Memorial Day. So it's just kind of this. We end up kind of syncing with the school year, for for lack of a better description. And and so I know that through this next year that God is, is going to pour more people into this place. And the reason I know that is because, first of all, he gave us a big room that I still see a lot of red. And, uh, and so if he wanted us to stay where we're at, he would have given us half this room. And, uh, and then the people that have come in this last six months, I've, I said this last week, um, most places tend to run with a small percentage doing a majority of the work. It's just kind of normal, just like mom does all the work in the house, right? Uh, I, I hear this regularly. I wish somebody would help me. Uh, well, well, churches are the same way and organizations are the same way. It's like there's a few people doing a lot. The people that have been coming in this last six months are a high percentage of put me to work. And, and that tells me that God is ramping up for something here. And so it's important that we're ready as a church to take care of the people coming in. So a few questions to get us going today. Are you attending church or are you an active part of the church? What does it mean to be an active part of the church? And I'm not just talking about the family church. This is obviously a place I love. Uh, God uh, gave a vision for this uh, into my heart and my wife Danielle's heart, and, and we're five years running and just loving it. But we are one little piece of what God is doing called the church, and that is his bride, that is his feet and hands to reach more and more people and build the kingdom of heaven. And so what does it mean to be a part of his church? The church, just so you're aware of this, you might have somebody that agrees disagrees with you on on a few things maybe how to do communion or or like last week we dedicated a baby instead of baptizing a baby guess what the church is comprised of all christ followers no matter how maybe they do some of those little things differently when it comes to who jesus is who the holy trinity is father son holy spirit jesus is the son of god died for us rose again that core of beliefs actually unites us with millions of people. That should excite you because it's bigger than any one name on a door. What does it mean to be a Christ follower? And I'll use that term a lot instead of the word Christian. I, I like the word Christian. It means Christ-like. 
But it's also just become a box that people check. What's your faith? Well, I'm a Christian. Are you? You're really pursuing Christ to be obedient to him and to look more like him throughout your life. Uh, No, 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 no. I just meant that I was raised in a... Oh, that's what I'm saying. There's a difference between what people just casually throw out there as what their faith label is. I want to narrow this down and, and bring it home and say... Are you a Christ follower? What does it mean to be a a Christ follower, a Christ follower? Good job. I'm a little dyslexic. Last week we discussed grace. As followers of Jesus, we have been saved by grace. We need to live by it and be committed to showing it to others. Today we're going to see that growth should be a goal of every Christ follower. So week one, grace. Week two, grow. Think about who you are today. My today is a sum of all my yesterdays, right? The person you are today is the result of everything that's come into you up till now. That's why we're using this movie for this topic today. Uh, All the other movies in this big ones this summer, they're all sequels. Now, Solo is connected to the Star Wars story But what's it telling us? Is it telling us the next step of Han Solo's life? If you paid attention, he died two movies ago. So it can't be a, it's not a sequel. Spoiler alert, you know, if you're late watching them. (coughs) You run it for me. Solo is a prequel. It's telling the story of how he came to be the person that he is in those movies. All of our other movies in this summer are sequels. Jurassic World, Avengers, Incredibles 2, and Mission Impossible. Solo is the backstory of Han Solo, my personal favorite character from my favorite movie series. And yes, I'm disappointed that his son decided that he needed to kill him. Terrible. Prequels are interesting because you know what is going to happen. And so it's telling the story of how it happens. So there's no surprises in Solo. Guess what? He gets a ship called the Millennium Falcon. He ends up with a best friend and co-pilot named Chewbacca. You guys are good. I love this church. So if he would have got a different ship in the movie, everybody would have left angry because the Millennium Falcon's like my second favorite character. And most people, like, it's a character if you pay attention to the movies. We know what's going to happen. We know he's going to meet certain people. We know he's going to do certain things that are referenced in the movies we've already seen, those of you that have souls. And I try to be careful to not be judgmental about this. I know I joke too much. Prequels just show us the details of how it happens, and I love it. As a fan, it is so cool to see where this guy comes from. In A New Hope, which is Star Wars 4, the first Star Wars movie, I know that's confusing, that comes out, 1977, I'm representing. We are introduced to Han Solo, a selfish, cynical smuggler. Believe me, I'm getting to the Bible for those of you that are like, Pastor Adams, this is really too much movies. This is not Christian enough. Just stay with me. We're introduced to a selfish, cynical smuggler who doesn't seem to like or trust anybody and only helps because he has promised a lot of money. That's how he comes into the story of Star Wars. 
But by the end of the movie, we see a soft heart underneath the rugged exterior. My today is a result of all of my yesterdays. And so we get this glimpse back into what makes this guy who he is. Solo is telling the backstory of how he became the soft-hearted scoundrel. Now, I don't know what most of the future holds for me. I don't know it. I don't even know most of what's going to happen the rest of today, other than I hope I get a burger and a hot dog. I got good odds on that. But what I love about the Bible, what I love about my life as a Christian, is that I know how it ends. And spoiler alert, spoiler alert, he wins. But it also says a few things in the Bible about the people that have followed Jesus. Listen to 1 John 3, 1 through 3. See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. Dear friends, we are already God's children. But he has not shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But here we go. But we do know that we will be like him. For we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. At the end of days, we will be like Jesus. We're given this glimpse of the end and then we get to live in today. We get to live out the backstory. We are living out the prequel. So how do we become like Jesus? Romans 8.29 says this, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. When we say welcome home to God, his family, and his plan, we are sincere. Because last week we, we celebrated that first G of this five-part uh, series, grace. Grace opens up this beautiful door into a relationship with Father God, and you come home in that moment. We're going to talk more about that today, too. But then there's a family attached to this. You are... It's, it's one of the main reasons why we do church together. And life in church should actually be more than Sunday mornings. It's why we're doing a picnic. We should have a feeling of being with family when we are around our other brothers and sisters in the Lord. And there might be a weird cousin or two, just like in your own family. Everybody's got a cousin Eddie or two. And that's fine. But you should feel like your home when you're around other believers. And that takes a little extra work. That takes some conversation. It takes sharing life together. But then we also say, welcome home to his plan. His plan for you. Now, it might include some, de your details are going to be different than mine. But the end result is the same, that we would become sons and daughters, that we would become additional children in addition to Christ Jesus to Father God. That's how he wants us to be. That's how he considers us. Keep up here. Galatians 3.26-28 says this, For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ 
like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. There's two parts to this, and, and, and it can be confusing to hear, and, and I, that's part of what we're trying to make plain today, and, and that's that to be the goal today, is what does it mean to become like Jesus? Well, this scripture here says that it's like putting on new clothes. There's part of it that's instantaneous. And that's critical, by the way, because the moment the son came home, we read the prodigal son last week, the story, the moment the son came home to the father, it says the father put on, put his robe onto his son. That was instantaneous. The son didn't go take a shower or anything like that. It was, it was your home, your mine again. Instantaneous. There, there's no additional things. You, you don't have a 12-step a process to become a son or daughter of, of God. You're, it's, it's right there when you come home to him. That's, that's critical. But then there is, this, there is this other part of it where you become like Jesus. You're not just wearing him, but he's coming from the inside out of you. The church word for that is called sanctification. It means, your, it means your whole life is changing and looking more like Jesus. We become like Christ the moment we are united with him. The father put the robe on the son as soon as the son came home. His son had been working in the pig pen and then traveled home a long way. Translation, he stunk. I bet he smelled awesome. And yet, his dad says, go get my best robe and put it on the stinky boy. He didn't say that. He did say put the robe on. His dad did not make him shower first before the robe. I think that is so important because so many times as Christians, we see somebody coming to Jesus and then we want to add on all these extra things. Well, you need to get those things taken care of before you come here. It's not how it works. You, you probably, and actually I'm going to actually say you do have sin in your life that he does not like. He doesn't approve over any of it in any person. That's, that's a fact. But whoever comes home to him, he puts his robe on and says, you are mine again, and then we are going to walk through life together, and those things that you brought in aren't going to be things that stay with you forever that's what it looks like keeps jumping backwards it's making me crazy we have this other son in the picture and neither son really knew what it meant to live as a son the grace was there but they weren't living in the reality of it what did they need to do our key verse for today is this second peter three eighteen. You must grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. You must grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about your salvation. You're wearing the robe. You're a son. You're a daughter. I'm talking about living like a son or a daughter. You see the difference? When we shared that story last week, prodigal son, I'll catch anybody up that wasn't here. You have this runaway kid 
takes half his dad's money, blows it all, ends up in the gutter, and comes back and begging for forgiveness. That's the short end of son number one. We hear from son number two at the end, who is critical about his father forgiving his dumb brother. I'm sure he was very kind about it, because I love how my children talk about their siblings when they think that they're terrible, right? And this son says a phrase that we focused in on last week. He says, I have done everything you've asked. I've slaved for you basically forever. And so the son who never disobeyed was living like a slave in his own father's house. So neither of them get it. So I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about living like a son or a daughter. What does it mean to be a Christ follower and to be a part of his church? Week one, we need to live by grace. Week two, we need to grow. Well, Pastor Adam, that doesn't sound like any fun. It can be. We need to pursue growth towards Christ-likeness. I've got another parable today to show us how we grow. Is that okay? Jesus taught in stories, and I think it helps us just as much today. Is that okay? I know you guys are thinking about burgers and hot dogs, but I need you guys to stay with me. Luke chapter 8. One day Jesus told a story in the form of a parable to a large crowd that had gathered from many towns to hear him. A farmer that had went out to plant his seed, as he scattered it across his field, some seed fell on a footpath where it was stepped on and the birds ate it. Other seed fell among rocks, it began to grow, but the plant soon wilted and died for lack of moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns that grew up with it and choked out the tender plants. Still other seed fell on fertile soil. This seed grew and produced a crop that was a hundred times as much as had been planted. When he said this, he called out, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. After the crowd is gone, Jesus explains this further to his disciples. He said, this is the meaning of the parable. Verse 11, the seed is God's word. The seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. The seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, then they fall away when they face temptation. The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And so they never grow into maturity. And the seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a good harvest. Can I just tell you that the people in my life that have surfaced as the ones that just mean the most to me that I count on, depend on, and depend on are the honest, good-hearted people who just patiently work what they've been given in life. Think about the people you count on in your life, just you personally as an individual. The ones that are just faithful are the ones that mean the most to you, right? They may not do anything flashy, but they're just steady, steady, steady. Jesus is looking for us to be that kind of people. He wants us to just be steady in our growth. And it says there at the end, to patiently produce a huge harvest. 
who are we going to look like in the end? Sunday school answer 101, just say Jesus. Who are we going to look like in the end? Okay, good. You're catching on. Gold star for everybody. So our goal is Christ-likeness. What does it mean to be a Christ follower? We need to produce, produce, uh, pursue growth towards Christ-likeness. How do we grow? This parable is teaching us to consider two things, the seed and the soil. God wants us to be challenged today. So if I hurt your feelings a little bit, I'm okay with it. I don't want you to be mad at me. But I, this should challenge each of us to look at both of these categories and say, I want more. Okay, that's the purpose for this. Because we have direct input on the quantity of seed and the quality of soil that we make available to our hearts, to our lives, to our growth. Right? The goal for every follower is to become like Christ. In other words, the fruit that we want is Christ-likeness. Well, if the fruit, if you want peaches, what do you plant? You better be in Georgia, first of all, but you, you plant peaches. I remember being very disappointed as a kid that I, you just can't plant whatever you want. you got to be in certain places, right? Well, if that's the fruit that we want, then what is the seed that we have to plant? Verse 11 tells us what the seed is. What does it say the seed is? The seed is God's Word. This is a big deal, and if you will grasp this part alone, it will help you live in a grace-filled relationship instead of religion. We're not here to give you religion or any other person in Pickerington or the surrounding areas. No thanks. It's just another form of bondage that makes you feel a little bit better about it. It doesn't help anybody. The only thing that will change you is God's Word. So here's a mistake that some people make many Christians make. They come in through a door called grace. It's the only way in. And then, like we said, there's two parts of becoming like Jesus. There's that instantaneous part, and that is just all of heaven celebrates it, and this church goes nuts every time somebody says yes to Jesus. And especially when they come out of the water of baptisms, we go crazy. But then there's this life of becoming like Jesus, and so... Christians will walk in through the door of grace and then they'll trade it for a lifetime of works in the church. Well, grace got me here, but I've got to work really hard and do all the church stuff to become more like Jesus. I've got to do the stuff. It's fun to do the stuff and we really hope you, you live out this life with us. We've got plenty of opportunities to serve and other things. But that is not what's going to make you like Jesus. I need you to hear this. God needs you to hear this. The right way this happens is for the seed of God's Word to change your heart, and then your actions are the fruit of what is growing inside of you. You begin to serve, not so that you're serving to grow. The serving is part of the fruit of you growing. Do you see the difference? It becomes an expression of what is happening inside of you instead of something that you are making happen. Because you can't make it happen. That same door of grace that you walked into, thank you Jesus, to come into his family, is the same thing that is going to be helping you grow. 
It is by His grace that I look more like Jesus today than 20 years ago. I've not earned it. I've not worked for it. Everything I do, and I've, I've, I've fallen for this trap before where, I've, oh, I have to. It's good to be obedient to things and just do what needs to be done, but, but just as we hope for our kids that at some point they just do the right thing because that's who they are on the inside, right? That's every parent's prayer is that I just want my kids to do the right thing when I'm not there. And not because they're scared of, of, of me if, they, if I find out, but because they want to do the right thing. That comes out of a heart change. That comes out of maturity. Those of you with teenagers, we just keep praying for maturity, don't we? We can't just try to act like Jesus. The only thing that will change us is the Word of God. If we will plant the Word of God into our hearts, our actions will become a harvest of God's Word. And so serving people just becomes a, just a part of worship at that point. It's not a have to. I'm not checking a list. So the question for us today, one of the other questions for us today is, how much seed is coming into your heart? This is the, this is the challenge for today because we directly control the amount of seed that comes into our heart. You're sitting out there today. You are making yourself available to God's Word, and that is wonderful. It, it, is, it is huge. Should we take the next six days off until next Sunday? That's, that's where I'm going to hurt your feelings. Did somebody just say, ouch? Tell your neighbor he's talking about you. Don't do that. That's the Holy Spirit's job. You fell for it. But seriously, we control this input. And so we can do other things like listening to certain podcasts or I just do the daily audio Bible as I'm driving into work every day. And, and then he teaches a devotion based on the reading for the day. It keeps the seed going into my heart. We help determine the amount of God's Word that comes into our lives. So the seed is God's Word, and yes, you have a lot to say about the quantity that comes into your heart. We talked about seed. Let's talk about soil, because I haven't hurt your feelings enough yet. Let me find it here. The footpath. We're given these pictures of where the seed hits. I want to encourage you today that you are likely not in that first category because you have pointed yourself towards wanting more from the Lord. The fact that you're here today, even if it was out of obedience to a spouse or something like that, uh, God bless you. Uh, or your mom or dad made you come to church. I had plenty of Sundays in that category as a kid. So you might be here a little bit by force or bribery. That's fine. But the fact that you have opened up your heart to wanting more of God means that you are not in that footpath category that God is talking about in, in this parable. And, and you should be encouraged by that. It means you are making soil available for God's Word. And that is a very good thing. But what I do believe that this should show us, it should help us to see the battle for the souls around us. 
It is so frustrating to watch someone we love not see or understand their need for a Savior. Right? It is entirely aggravating to watch somebody that you just see is just a prayer away from a life change and they don't see it and so they just stay lost. This says that the, there's no soil being made available and so the enemy is just stealing every good word that comes as quick as it's dropped. That's aggravating. But it gives us a picture into what's really happening and you can call it spiritual warfare or whatever it, whatever you want to, but there's, there's another side. There is a real dark side. There is an enemy that doesn't want that person to find Jesus. So what do we do about that? If the enemy is stealing it because he can, because that person has not yielded their heart over to God yet, that leaves it up to the people in that person's life to love that person to life change. Because we're the only channel of Jesus they're going to see. Right? And what you do is you end up setting up opportunities for seeds to grab hold of little parts of earth. So just, to, just like the ones that aggravate you and like your sidewalk cracks or, or whatever else. And it's like, so my grass is brown everywhere where I want it to be green. And the places where I just want it to be concrete, stuff's coming up until Mr. Russ kills it with some of his powerful chemicals because that's what he did for us out in the parking lot. But God's Word can be like that when we share our faith with those people that are lost because you can create a little conversation just by loving on somebody, sharing your story, and you create an opportunity, a little piece of soil in that person's life for God's Word to grab onto. It gives us a picture of that. And then we have this other soil. It says the rocky soil. This is, this is probably the most aggravating for parents and for people in church leadership. is because, and I consider this, even, even for my pastor, Pastor Scott, just when I considered the years, 40 years of preaching, and when you're standing in front of, people come and go throughout years in ministry, but when you see the same group of people, and you're still dealing with the same problems 30 years later, what, and you're, you're telling your kid the same thing for the, umpteenth time or whatever else and you just want them to take in the truth and actually apply it down deep in their heart and grow is that so much to ask could you please just make your bed after you get out of it right and being in leadership a youth pastor for 10 years i would watch kids trip over same thing oh adam i'm I'm ready to start walking with Jesus. Okay. A uh, month later, same thing. month later, right? Because I did it too. This is the rocky soil, and this is actually a very frustrating place to live as a Christian because you are trying to point your life towards Jesus, but you're not giving him enough of your heart for anything to actually take root and change.
here we are on a Sunday morning, and it's one thing, and I've walked away from thousands of messages, and I've got, you know, other preachers that I love to hear and, and, and whatever else. I've, I've heard thousands of messages in my life. Most of those, just like you, and hopefully you think that something of today provided value to, to you today, and I'll hear something like, that was a good message, Pastor. Well, that, that makes me feel really good, by the way, and because usually just my mom tells me. So anyway, I'm just kidding. But what can help us take that good word and move it into Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and actually growth? Scribbling a few things down doesn't hurt. If I, if, if I see your iPhone out, I know we're not, in, uh, we're not doing fantasy football yet, so uh, I'll maybe just get your phone out and, and uh, take a couple notes or, or a verse that sticks out just reading that verse again or, or, or rattling off the few main points again later in the week, it does wonders to take something from rocky soil to good soil. The thorns, the competition. It says the cares, the riches, and the pleasures of this life. What I think is fascinating about this line is that Jesus isn't calling any of it sin. I think that's great. Because a lot of our life is consumed with the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this world. And God is not condemning those things. He's not. I think he's just going to be really happy that we're just enjoying ourselves and playing some cornhole and eating hamburgers. Did I mention I want a hamburger? That is great. I love having time with my family. I love sitting in a movie and just enjoying it. I love taking a walk. love taking a nap. Why not? I've got cares just like you do. I've got people I'm concerned about. I've got uh, prayer requests that affect me personally and for people that I'm walking with. I've got just the normal cares of this life. I've got bills due this week just like all of you do. But what this is saying is that this is the competition. Can you eliminate it? That's what a lot of people try to do in business. So let's just eliminate the competition. Usually it can't be done. And usually you're better off for it if you have somebody that makes you better. But that's a challenge to us as believers. We can't eliminate this competition. I'm going to have bills next month too. So do I use that as excuse to just limit the amount of time I make available to the Word of God in my life? Well, I've got things I enjoy doing. I don't think God wants me to stop enjoying my life. I really don't believe that. There's, there's been times and even parts of the church where enjoyment equals sin. What a terrible place. I was watching uh, Food Channel, of all things, you know, something like that. And they were going through, I think it was Holland, and um, this guy used the word Protestant as a reference to, he said, our culture was just much more Protestant, and now we're just kind of starting to enjoy life. Well, Protestant is basically the entire church that isn't Catholic, just so you know. That's just a big church word that basically Christians are either Catholic or Protestant. It's like that big. There's maybe, you can't get into it. Anyways, he used the word Protestant to, decide, to describe a mindset that was over an entire culture for years, and he said basically enjoying food was a sin. 
that ain't my church. But I'm, I'm joking, but I'm also being serious. There, there's, the church has gone wacko a thousand different ways dealing with this, these things. And that's the opposite of grace where you take the things where God made us to enjoy things and to turn that into label it sin. No, 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 that's not what he's doing. But he is calling those things, the cares, the pleasures, and the things of life, he is calling it the thorns that compete with the growing word of God. So we should still take note of it and say, am I leaving enough room for God? Right? He doesn't call any of it sin, but he does call out the results of not prioritizing God's word. He says this. He said, they never grow into maturity. Now, if that happened for one of my children, I would consider myself a failure as a parent. And as, as crazy as they'll all make me, they're, they're all still bumbling their way towards being, I think, pretty good functioning adults. I really do. Thanks for, th- mostly to their mother's help, of course. But how sad would it be for God to give us this beautiful thing called grace where we can become his kids and we just stay in the playpen. That was funny, wasn't it? That's so dumb. I do some dumb things. He wants us to grow into maturity. He wants us to become like his son. He's not trying to get more out of us like I just like a taskmaster or something like that. He wants something good for us, just like I do for my kids. If them being a good, high-functioning adult, it might cost me less money in the long term, but that's not my primary objective. My primary objective is that they would have a good life. And so I'll ask my son questions like, "Are you? would you allow your kid to do that? I hope you don't let my grandson act like a fool. Are, are you going to treat your wife that way? I'll use something that happens in society or, or even how I treat Danielle. I said, is that, you're going to treat your wife like this, right? Or not treat her like this? Yeah. That's what I want. I want him to have a good life. I want him to be responsible. And so he, he can do the things he wants and, and have daughters that can do the same thing. By the way, my grandson is still not here, so don't ask. He is due next Friday, but it's very impatient. We're, we're having trouble with this. My poor daughter is just going to explode, literally. And um, she's quite miserable. Hopefully next Sunday. I have a shirt that my daughter bought me that, that is for being a grandfather. And I will wear it the first Sunday after he's born. So if you don't see that shirt, no baby, okay? So we have this rocky soil. Again, I'm not talking about salvation here. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about you being saved or not being saved, but we're talking about are you going to live like a son or a daughter? Where is the room for God's seed in your life? 
So we have direct input on the quantity of seed and the room we make available, the soil that we give to it. Let's talk about the good soil as we close here. The good soil is hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a good harvest. Think about that for just a minute. Hear God's word. You're making, you're making room to hear it. You're, you're, you're giving space for it. But then there's a follow-up action, and this moves past that rocky soil, and it moves past even the thorns, and that's where you cling to the Word of God. And so when a Word drops into you, like it might, I mean, I, I really try to make sure all 40 minutes that I preach every week have something useful in them, maybe other than the Star Wars clip, okay? But oftentimes when I would hear somebody preach, God would laser in on one little line one little verse, one little expression that would just get me in the heart. That's the Holy Spirit taking something and wanting to add His life to me so that I would grow from it. That's how the seed comes in. It needs to go in and grow. And so clinging to God's Word is where you take something when it comes in and then you hang on to it. You scribble it down, you read it again. There might be something that you keep praying if there's a promise that you're wanting to believe from the Lord. You're clinging to it. And then the last thing it says is patiently produce a harvest. And actually it says huge harvest. Huge. God wants us to grow Part of that harvest is not just our growth, but what do growing things do? They give off seed to other things to grow more, grow others. And so my life, if God has his way, is going to be, it's going to spill out into other people's life. And he wants the same for yours. So what does it mean to be a Christ follower and to be a part of his church. The first thing is, we learned last week, we need to live by grace. And we kind of re-hit that this week. That, that grace never changes. We, we never grab this thing ourselves and say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to become like Jesus. What? No. The first thing is grace. The second thing is grow. And how do we grow? More seed more soil. Can we pray this morning? Father God, I thank you for this word. God, I thank you that it's just really more of your grace because you do the growing. We don't make anything happen, God. There is no have to in Jesus. There, there's none. But what there is, is there's a place where your word can change our hearts. And then the actions that come out of them, when we begin to give, when we begin to serve, or we increase our giving, we increase our serving, we increase sharing your truth with somebody else, it's never to check a box. It's never because we have to. But it's as you intended. It's the fruit of the seed of your Word maturing. God, I pray for this group of people called Family Church, me included. God, that we would grow in you.
God, that we would give more, make room for more seed, more opportunities for your word to come into our life. And then we'll make more room for that seed to take root so that we can take it in with joy, just like it said with the, the seed that fell on the rocks, but we'll keep it with joy. We'll cling to it and patiently produce a good harvest. If you've never said yes to Jesus before, if you've never chosen to follow Jesus before, and you see your need for Him today, I want to pray with you. If today's the day you're ready to cross that line of faith, would you raise your hand where you're at this morning? I want to pray with you. You're saying yes to follow Jesus. I see that hand. Thank you. God bless you. I see that hand. God bless you. So good. It's so good to walk through that door of grace and allow Him to call you son or daughter. A simple prayer goes like this. Father, I've sinned. I ask you to forgive those sins. I thank you for your grace that you take me for who I am in this moment. Thank you for welcoming me home and calling me a son or daughter. Father God, I'm choosing to follow your word. Thank you for your love.